Well, good morning. How is everyone this morning? These are the kind of mornings I like where it's like 70-ish, like cool breeze where it's not 115 when you walk outside and you can barely breathe, like it's Florida, right? And so I'm excited to be here this morning. My name is Chad Miner. I actually live about three miles directly that way on a family farm that I took over from my grandmother. Um, we have video of my mom doing the jitterbug on the living room floor, and I mean, it's just a fantastic space for us. I grew up around here my whole life. I used to run the streets and get in all kinds of chaos and trouble, uh, pretty much. My, my home life was, a, was very, very difficult. My parents divorced when I was in sixth grade, and their custody case was actually so bad that Judge Paulus downtown still uses it as precedent in children's court. And so I lived a very difficult life, uh, but as you can see, I was a very big person. <laughs> I'm not a small man. I'm 6'8", 260, and I could shoot a basketball. And so that actually became my way out of my situation. And I'm just giving you a backstory before I really get into like the nuts and bolts of what we'll talk about. And the hard part was is I never really had a foundation in Christ. I always had people in the community who would like have me over for dinner and reach out to me and talk to me to see if I was doing okay. Uh, but I never really like had that belief, right? I knew who Jesus was. I knew the stories. I had been to church with people. But I never had that like firm conviction and belief. And I ended up getting a full ride scholarship uh, to Division I school, University of Akron, up the road. And I got injured my junior year, and the wheels just kind of fell off the bus, right? And so I tell people, I ended up uh, in Florida. I weighed about 160 pounds. I did just about any kind of drug you could imagine at that time. And I looked in the mirror one day at a guy's house named Cookie, uh, and he wasn't a good baker. And so I, I look in the mirror and I was like, I can't end, life can't end this way. And I remembered all of those like people who took me on like church retreats and who would tell me God loved me and all of these things when I was a kid. And I left and that's when I started turning life around. That was 20, 21 years ago now. And since then, it's just been this faithful journey of like navigating life with Jesus. And I tell people, and people are like, wow, how are you where you're at in your life? And I'm like, it's really, I kind of give the old, you know, children's Bible study. It's Jesus. I don't really know. <laughs> like, I'm faithful. I follow what he asked me to do. And I'm obedient to that. And so I sit here today, an absolute blessed man. I'm married. Uh, my wife, Jamie, and I have two boys who are 12 and 10 who are uh, as ornery and rotten as I was when I was that age. So our house is always a lot of fun. There's, there's energy and chaos and always things happening. My wife and I have been married going on 18 years. Uh, I tricked her into marrying me, and I, I did it as fast as I could before she realized what I was really like. And so I, uh, I, I'm blessed to be here. I lead a blessed life. In Canton, I just is my home. It always has been. I've, I've known people uh, through the farm and through my grandparents my whole life. And so I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to uh, uh, hopefully impact you guys with what we're going to talk about today. And it's something that I had to learn kind of the hard way in my life and in my faith. And so this morning, I'm going to be focusing on Matthew 6, 1 through 8. 
We'll be talking about Matthew 6, 1 through 8. We have 16 to 18, but I'm really going to hit on that 1 through 8 passage. It says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father, who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father, who is unseen, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. The word of the Lord. So this is part of kind of a warning that Jesus gives back in 520, right? Where we see the beginning of this, where he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Not enter the kingdom of heaven. That's something to remember as we go forward in this message. And the examples that Jesus gives us here in this Matthew 6 highlight abuses by the scribes and Pharisees. This look at me, look at what I'm doing, look how, look how strong my faith is. Like, I'm, I pray like this, I wake up at 6 a.m. And, and I read my Bible, right? That's what he's kind of hitting on here. And he's challenging his disciples in these passages to be sincere before their heavenly father. Not boastful and showy like other people. And one of the hardest things that I've had to overcome in my own faith is this, this idea that we do our faith, right? That what I do justifies me before God. The things that I accomplish justify me before God. That the more I do, the more faithful I must be, right? In Hebrews 11, and this is interesting, this is kind of the Hall of Fame of the Old Testament when you read Hebrews 11, okay? And the author goes through and gives us this list of all of these faithful people throughout the Old Testament, right? By faith, Noah. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Jacob. By faith, 
Moses, by faith, Rahab, and he just goes on and on by faith, by faith, by faith. And he's going through this whole section of Hebrews 11, talking about by faith. Not everything they did, but by faith. And the interesting thing is, is as I've been studying things, in Hebrews 11, there's actually one group that's omitted from the Old Testament that's not in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, 29 to 30 says this. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. You see, there's a generation that skipped there. Did you catch that? By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. Hebrews 11 skips the wilderness generation altogether. Doesn't even make mention of them. And why, right? And if you go back to the beginning in Hebrews 3, it gives us the reason. It says, who were those, who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And here's the key part. And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not those who disobeyed? So we see they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. They were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So Hebrews 11 goes through all of these people. All of these people. And they all had flaws. All of those people in Hebrews 11. They weren't perfect people. But they entered into his rest because of why? Their belief in a good and gracious God. That's why they entered, right? That Jesus, in us, we believe that Jesus died for our sins. That's why we enter. Not because of what we do, but because of whose we are. Jesus is. And he paid the price for every single one of us with his blood on the cross. Every single one of us, he paid that debt for. That's why we enter into his rest. Because of who we believe in. Not anything that we do, right? And when it comes to our faith and when it comes to where we're being called and what we're being asked to do, Jesus is always the answer. Why are you here this morning? To worship a good and gracious, loving God. And think of how lucky we are to have that freedom in this country. There are 52 countries in the world where it is illegal to do what we're doing this morning. And you would be murdered if they found out you weren't. We come here this morning to worship a God that is far greater than anything we could ever fathom. Right? And the hard part is, is this earth the earth that surrounds, like everything that surrounds us on a daily basis. Our success is measured by what we do. The things we have. What we've accomplished. That's, in the world, that's what measures our success. Not whose we are. But as Christians, that is our only benchmark. That's it. Our benchmark is Jesus. 
and our belief in him. That's our benchmark, right? And so when I was in high school and I'm playing basketball, my life was full of like I had to do things for any affirmation from my family. I always had to be doing something to gain any kind of acceptance, affirmation, anything from my father. And I tell the story, I once scored 68 points in one basketball game. I missed the last second shot. We lost by two. And we got home, and as we were walking in the door, my dad threw our second place trophy in the garbage. And he said, we don't put those things up here. You only win in this house. And so as I was coming into the faith, one of the harder things that I had to figure out was that it's not what I do. Like, I don't have to do things for this acceptance from Jesus. He loves me just how I am. Just how I am. And that's why I identify with Paul when he says, me, the worst of all sinners. I, the worst of all sinners. Jesus loved me. And that's, that was hard for me to like wrestle with and grapple with because of the way in which I grew up. I carried all this baggage into faith where I felt like I had to do something to receive acceptance, love, care, compassion, any of it. That's not how Jesus works. He says, I love you in all of your mess. You don't have to be perfect to come to me. You just have to come to me. That's what Jesus says. And isn't that such a beautiful thing that the world sells us all of this doing and, and getting exhausted trying to figure out how to be successful. And none of that matters to Jesus. All that matters to him is belief. Remember that Hebrews passage. The only people who didn't enter into his rest was who? Those who didn't believe. Right? Right? And our faith in what we do kind of flows outwardly through Jesus' love that is inward. Okay? There's this flow we are able to do because Jesus already did. That's how we're able to do things, right? And when we look at our faith and how we live in the community and the people that we impact and, and how we go and give the gospel to the world, right? Because when Jesus talks about poor, this is where people make the mistake. He isn't talking about like socioeconomic as much as poor in spirit. It's a both and, not an either or, right? When you think about this. So there are people who need Jesus just as much as anyone in this world who surrounds you every day. They don't necessarily need to be poor. They can be poor in spirit, right? And we have this, this image of a heart, right? Has everybody seen the hearts for Valentine's Day? The big, like they're just a giant heart and they're red and they're huge, right? These big hearts and you see them everywhere. That's our image of love here, right? Like you'll draw it on cards for your wife. Most men do that. We're like, I love you, honey. And we draw like that heart that we're not very good at. We all do it, right? But this image of love we get a better representation of it when we look at the human heart. Not this heart that we draw, but the human heart. Right? And this human heart that's beating in your chest right now, you can feel it. Right? It's alive. 
But here's the interesting with this. This actually shows us how God wants us to live in the world and how to, how to live out our faith and be in our faith in the world. Okay? Because when you look at the heart, what does it have? It has what? Valves that go where? In? And then valves that go where? Out. And that is the best image for our faith that you could ever have. It's this focus of like your heart being puffed up with the love of Jesus, with the Holy Spirit filling you. And then you have no option but to have it go out. You're breathed up and you go out. The human heart is that best representation we have of how to live out that faith. We don't do it to, to justify ourselves before God, to stand before him. We do it because Jesus loves us and is filling us so much that we have to. It's not, a, it's not a, a thought of like, well, maybe I'll go serve today and maybe I'll like go down to the Salvation Army or maybe I'll make cookies for my neighbor who has six kids and she's a teacher and she's going to be going back to school. Like, maybe I'll do this for that. No, you're doing it because you, you are compelled by the Holy Spirit, by the love of Jesus to go into the world and love people. And you can't help it. Like you just, you have to do it because your heart is filled so much, so much that it has to go out. Has to. And so when you're being filled outwardly into the world to share the gospel is where you go. And it doesn't have to be something that's big and rocket science and, and crazy and everything. It just, it's just, these are simple things to show people the love of Jesus, right? I remember we had a woman who asked my wife and I, she was like, look, to serve you guys, uh, I, I want you this weekend to bring us, to bring me all of your boys' clothes and I'm going to wash them and fold them and bring them back for you Sunday. My wife, I thought, was going to like lose her, like she cried and was like, you've got to be kidding me, I don't have to do laundry all weekend. And this, that was the greatest, like, thing that someone did for my wife. Washing our kids' clothes. So she didn't have to worry about it. Right? And we, we through generations, we have this ability to, like, impact people because we understand the different situations people live in. So we can share the gospel with them. That's the beauty with the body of Christ. Everyone has a story. Everyone has a part. Everyone has a thing that they can do that God has gifted them with. Whatever that may be. And that's the body of Christ. And so things that you're gifted in, I may not be gifted in. But that's the beautiful thing because then we all can reach people through whatever God gifts us with. I can't bake cookies. I barely bake instant noodles. Right? But I can, I can go over to someone's house and help them tinker with things and like fix a lawnmower and things of that nature, which I've done. So it's whatever God kind of calls you and draws you into to share this love because you're so built up by the love of God that you have to outwardly show it. And faith is simple. Like, and I think that's one of the main things that we do is we overcomplicate things. It's really not that complicated. That's the one thing I've learned through all the things that I've studied. If you simplify it and you just say, love God and love others, that's really all I'm going to do. I'm, it's, I'm not going to make this rocket science. 
I'm going to love Jesus with all of my heart, with everything I got. I'm going to run towards him as fast as I can. And then I'm going to bring as many people with me through the gates of heaven as I can. That's our, that's our job. That's our commandment. Like, think of that. Think how beautiful of a representation of faith that would be if someone says, what do you do? Like with me. God has called me to take as many people with me through the gates of heaven as I possibly can. What a win that would be. It doesn't matter what I accrue here on earth, the things I have. If I can walk through the gates of heaven and there's a trail of people as far as the eye can see following me into heaven, people that understand the love of Jesus because of me, that's a win. Not anything I have. That's a win. There's a, there's a great story about a shoe salesman in Chicago. And this shoe salesman taught Sunday school. Right? And he had some rambunctious boys in his class. They were really frustrating. Right? He'd go crazy with them. And there was one that was particularly kind of rambunctious, and he would get really like, frustrated with him. So there's one day where he actually confronts this young boy at the shoe store. And he says, I'm tired of the horsing around. I'm tired of the messing around. You need to understand that God loves you. And you need to start learning how to live out your faith. And I'm the person who's going to teach you that. If you want to end up on the streets, end up on the streets. I'm going to teach you how to live your life. And so this shoe salesman started mentoring this young boy who ended up being Dwight Moody. And then Moody, okay, Moody ended up discipling Maura Dacey Ham. More Dacey Ham discipled Wilbur Chapman. Wilbur Chapman discipled Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday was, was at a revive, had a tent revival one afternoon. And there was all these boys who wanted to go and like mess with it and like wreak havoc with it because they just, they thought it was just, they didn't like it. So there was one young boy who was there and the young boy goes in and he hears Billy Sunday and he falls to his knees. And in that moment, he's impacted by Jesus. And that man was... Billy Graham. Think about that. One faithful shoe salesman who taught Bible study to young boys. The amount of people who walk through the gates of heaven with that man who was a shoe salesman is just beyond your imagination. Because if you think of all of those modern heavyweights who held tent revivals, how many people they took through the gates of heaven with them and they're followed by this shoe salesman who what? It wasn't everything that he did. It wasn't the, where he lived or what he had. It was his faithfulness to teach young boys. And that's the same in our life. Whatever that looks like for us. Whatever that looks like. It can be, it can be anything for anyone, right? And I think the great thing with it is is Jesus like, Jesus kind of removes that like worldly reason for doing things. This like puffing up and like look at me reason. Jesus just removes that altogether. And I love the book that J.R. and Amy have you guys reading. How many of you are reading that right now? Yeah, it's, it's fantastic, right? Chapter eight. The author says in chapter 8, 
The world measures our worth on the basis of our appearance, production, and performance, which seems to be the only things that count. This narrative says our value is determined by others' assessment. Think of that. The world measures. And when we start removing ourselves from like the perception of the world and how the world measures our success and what the world thinks of what we're doing and, and all of these things and we just focus on the love of Jesus allowing him to fill our hearts and we're compelled to go into our communities to love people then. When you're thinking of your faith when you leave here, think of that, that heart, the valves in and out. It's this flow between the two. And nothing that you do justifies you before God but Jesus. Nothing. Jesus is what justifies you. Jesus is the reason you can stand righteous before God. Clean, white as snow. Jesus is the reason you can do that. Don't you want to tell people that? To relieve this like burden of the world that everyone kind of gives? The stress and the anxiety that the world is, people are suffering from right now? Don't you want to share that good news with people? Like, I'm so like compelled to do that. I have to do that. Like, my wife makes fun of me. I talk to the cash register at like the grocery store. It's like, hey, do you know Jesus? Like, yeah. Like, I got to tell you about him. He's great. Like, I, I, I'm compelled, I have to share that with people. That it doesn't matter what you do, what this world tells you, what age you should have children, any of that stuff. It's Jesus. Jesus is the reason for that. 1 John 5, 1 through 1 and 2 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his child well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. Think of that. This is how people know that you love Jesus, by carrying out his commands. This is how people know you love Jesus, by carrying out his commands. And what are his commands? Love God. Love people. Simplify it. And so as you go into the world and as you go back into your lives from here, think of those things. Think of, what can I do today to show people this love that I know so much? How a good and gracious God died for my sins. What can I do today to share that with someone, to let them know that God loves them? Whatever that looks like, mowing their lawn, washing clothes. Maybe someone's, you know that they're struggling at work and you just, you sit with them and tell them a story about one time you struggled at work. Whatever that may look like. People know Jesus through us. For a vast majority of the population that surrounds us in our everyday lives, they will never open a Bible. Ever. But they'll watch how you live your life. Think of that. Therefore, your life is their Bible. The way in which you live your life is the only gospel they will ever read. 
And so how will they know a good and gracious God? Unless you communicate those things to them and you show them how much Jesus loves them. And so when we leave here today, that's our challenge. Our challenge is, how can I show, what can I do to not be boastful, but to be so filled with the love of Jesus that I have to tell someone how amazing it is to have that relationship? I have to. I have to let someone know what he did for me on that cross. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your love, for your grace, for your mercy. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Lord, I can't even fathom a love like that. A love that that just cared so much for me, the sinner. And God, I'm just, I'm compelled to share that love with other people, God. And I pray that every person here feels that as well. I pray that you comfort them during their time of struggle. And then you build them up and you, you have that valve coming in with your love just filling them so much that they have to go and tell people about that love. That as we're, as we're entering the gates of heaven, we see these people coming behind us that we share that love with. That it's our faithfulness, our obedience that you really care about. It's not everything that we do. We do those things to glorify you. We don't do them to justify ourselves. Jesus already justified us. And God, I pray that you lay that on our hearts so that we can kind of remove that stress and burden of the world to this doing things to justify us, that we're justified by Jesus. I pray that you just continue to, to move in this church. It's so amazing to, to be up here right now, God. I've walked circles around this sanctuary for well over two years now and prayed. And I'm thankful for this opportunity to, to be able to, to share your word. Thank you for the words that you gave me for this. Father, it's in your precious and powerful name that I pray. Amen.